right, all right. Day 126. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith, and this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. Okay, so how long, right? How long? Those are two words that have historically had a multiplicity of phrases and sentences that usually follow. If you're anything like me or anything like David, there is something in your life right now that you most likely are saying, how long about? How long will I deal with depression and anxiety? How long will I struggle with this sin in the dark? How long will relationships with this particular person in my life or my family be ruptured? How long will I have to convince those I'm close to that injustice in this world exists? Or here's one all of us can relate to. How long will this pandemic last? I know you're probably tired yeah, of doing homeschool, playing teacher, mom, dad, whatever it may be, right? Now, I want you to know <laughs> this psalm reminds us not just that, you know, people in the past have felt the same things you felt or experienced the same things you've experienced, but that they've prayed the very same things you've prayed, right? So Psalm 13 comes and David says, how long? He says the same things. He says, will you forget me forever? Right? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Four times in a row, David says those same two words. Right? These four consecutive constructions of how long are the most times that they occur in one place in the Bible. Right, And the Bible is trying to show us that whatever David is going through, he has been dealing with for a very long time, or at least it feels like it, right? That's the only reason we ask how long, right? This pandemic feels like it's been eight years, right? That's why I'm like, yo, how long, right? Obviously, to him, it feels as if God forgot him, left him dry, like he had repossessed his favor, right? And I imagine some of you listening are probably feeling the same way but what i love about these psalms man they're just short sermons right you get you as soon as you get the problem he smacks you in the face with the conclusion and the solution he says yo look what he turns to but i have trusted in your faithful love my heart will rejoice in your deliverance you know what he turns to he trusts right god this psalm shows us that god can take those of us who are despairing to delighting. And the pathway to this, you know what the secret is? To trust him, right? Trusting in his special, faithful, steadfast, loyal, covenantal love that he has extended to us in, on this side of the cross, in saving us, right? Even though the question about the time of God's intervention remained, David reaffirmed his trust in the Lord's faithful love. And we've talked about this term before. This is the Hebrew word chesed, right? Which is, you know, rooted again in God's covenant with his people, 
right? And so the psalmist's trust was not in himself, but in the God of the covenant who promised that he would show faithful love to those who love and obey him. If you are asking how long today, the best thing you can do is trust, right? Trust in the faithful love of God that is extended in bringing his covenant to his relationship, his covenant, special relationship to his people. Psalm 14. That's Psalm 13 is one of my favorite. We can go on and on. But Psalm 14, we have to go. We have to move on. <laughs> Psalm 14. So in this one, I like this one too because it just provides this classic. It's a classic portrait of sinners, right? So once again, the Psalms uh, being wisdom literature speaks of the way of a fool. So famously, he retorts in the first uh, verse. He says, the fool says in his heart, there's no God. Now, what's being mentioned here is not merely philosophical or intellectual atheism, right? So one who uh, is rigorously, you know, thinking through the arguments for the existence of God and lining them all up and seeing which one coheres. He's not doing that. Um, nah, but more along the lines of someone who willfully rejects divine wisdom, right? And this leads to reckless acts and deeds. And that's what the rest of the verse gets said, right? They are corrupt. They do vile deeds, right? Um, and so from there, the text expands, right? So it talks about, you know, the fool who would say, man, there's no God and I'm just rejecting everything uh, that divine wisdom points to. But it goes down and expands to all of humanity. So it says God looks down on the human race in Hebrew, literally uh, the sons of Adam, right? The sons of Adam. Um, and that's why Paul, because of this, this what the text is getting to hear, Paul will take this psalm later in Romans and use it to justify that Jews and Gentiles are all under sin, right? And need a savior, right? So Paul was on point in his interpretation of this text. And so Yahweh mentions that this sinfulness Right. Shows up once again in oppression. It, it, it seems like we keep talking about it, but I'm just reading the Bible. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Plundering the vulnerable. Right. The imagery he uses in verse four. So he'll say, yo, well, evildoers never understand. They consume my people as they consume bread. They do not call on the Lord. This imagery here uh, of being consumed comes from that of wild beasts consuming prey. Right. Yahweh. Um, the, the beautiful part about this is, though, even though that, that sinfulness is widespread among human beings, we know that the Savior has come in Jesus. Praise God. We can have a right relationship with God based on uh, faith in him. You know, um, and so Yahweh will say uh, or the text will say Yahweh provides the de deliverance. Right. Seven. Verse seven. Oh, that the Israel's deliverance would come from Zion when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad, right? Lord, the Lord Yahweh is and has provided deliverance from Zion, his holy mountain city, where his king Jesus has come to say. Psalm 15. And I love the last two Psalms because they kind of go hand in hand, uh, or 14 and 15 go hand in hand, and then Psalm 16 closes it really well. So 15 says this, Lord, who can dwell in your tent, who can live on your holy mountain, the one who lives blamelessly practices righteousness and acknowledges the truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue, who does not harm his friend or discredit his neighbor. All right. So by the looks of this psalm, basically we had last psalm, you know, portrait of sinners. This one is a portrait of the godly. Right. So who is the godly? What does it mean to be godly? Have you ever asked yourself that question? I'm sure you have. What does it mean to be godly? Right. Well, Psalm 15 says, yo, the one who lives blamelessly, meaning integrity. Right. He. His, his public profession match, matches his private witness, right? He practices righteousness and acknowledges the truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue, 
We talk about speech before and using it to tear one down isn't the way of the most high who does not harm his friend or discredit his neighbor. Literally, uh, in the original language, it's one who is nearby. So essentially, uh, basically, you love your neighbor, right? Or those who are in close proximity. If I got any uh, lawyers here, uh, you know, the one who is in close proximity to you, that that's who your neighbor is. Right. Um, at all times. Then he talks about not lending silver at interest. So basically not trying to make a fortune at the expense of others misfortune. Right. Um, and so, yeah, at the end of 14, it talked about, you know, uh, God's holy mountain, Zion and 15 begins talking about it as well. And so therefore, yeah, they are linked. And the new covenant is a testimony that God makes us, right? So in Christ, we see these things talked about all in Paul's epistles. And the testimony of the New Testament is that God makes us this kind of people in Jesus, right? People who love their neighbors, right? And by doing so, love God himself. Psalm 16, final psalm of this bunch. Uh, another really, really good one. Another one is one of my favorites. Um, and I love this song because of the way he adores who God is, right? I think there's something in that, man. I think that um, one of the things that shows us uh, that we believe that God is more useful than he is beautiful is if our uh, prayers are just filled with petitions rather than praise, right? If we think God is just useful and not beautiful, we'll just ask him for stuff, right? Instead of adoring him for who he is right so he adores who god is he said you are my lord i have nothing good besides you verse two verse five lord you are my portion and my cup of blessing you hold my future right this phrase where he says i have nothing good besides you is one of my favorites um i love it because david is essentially saying that yahweh you are such a god that nothing else on earth is desirable without you right not status not money not wealth not relationships not even life itself you are supreme. And historically, when Jews and Christians sang this song or prayed this prayer in the past, it was meant to entrust themselves to God and foster this confidence in his care for them and their contentment in him. Right. And so, um, you know, even the language about you hold my future, right, based on what God has done in the past. Right. We know and People throughout history have known that their future is fixed, right? If you're a Christian and you're listening to this today, your future is fixed. You want to know why? Because God doesn't change, right? In a sense, yes, we don't know what, what's coming in life. But one thing that we can guarantee without a shout of, a shout of a doubt is that our God is going to be who has always been, right? And then at the end, like most Old Testament writers, and this would get me jumping for joy right here. At the end, at the end of this uh, uh, chapter sixteen uh, of the Psalms, you know, he spoke. David, like most Old Testament writers, spoke more than he knew. Right, so he'll say this in verse eight through eleven. He say, "Always, I always let the Lord guide me because He is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely." For you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see. Okay, the last part of this psalm is quoted in the New Testament by Peter in Acts 2 and Paul in Acts 13, speaking of the resurrection of Jesus. In other words, what David expresses and what the apostles express in light of this text is that there is a confidence that we can have now looking back at this text as Christians, knowing the gospel, that Jesus died and rose. And because David 
and and this is uh Peter's um logic here because David technically right now is still in the grave him saying this David actually saying this pointed to the future one whose literal body did not see decay why because it was raised on the third day he is the true faithful one that God didn't abandon in the grave and by being united to the resurrected faithful true one we have the same hope and it is one of joy and blessing everlasting because of God's covenant and because of his love for his people listen we can be content we can sing God's praises we can uh boast about who the Lord is because of our fixed future right we know that this hope and this joy that we experience of God in this life runs right past the grave let me pray Father, I, I thank you once again for the hope of resurrection, right? Our confidence in you uh, is fixed on something that never ends. And that's eternal life. That's resurrection. I pray, God, that you would give us a vision of this now, today, and that would shape how we live and help us to impact the world.